0: So trying to live up to perfectionist standards when you don't control the schedule or how sleep-deprived you are or the temperament or challenges of the little human that is also a factor now in all of this is a recipe for some chaos and some
1: uncertainty. Hi, I'm Amy Kiefer, a nurse, doula, and personal trainer. And I'm Crystal Howald, a women's health and orthopedic physical therapist. We're the co-founders of expecting and empowered. And we just so happen to be sisters. We built this business because we saw a huge gap between the information that women were given during pregnancy and postpartum and the information that they need, we're committed to helping close the gap so that women are better equipped to navigate these demanding and challenging years. Yes, we're both moms of three, so we know firsthand how many changes women go through physically, mentally, and emotionally, because women aren't getting enough information to make informed decisions about their own health. It leaves mothers picking up the pieces afterwards. We need that to change. With our professional backgrounds, we're going to pull the curtain back on this season and give you the information you need to thrive. We're on a mission to change women's health. Let's do this. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Erica Jassa, who is a registered psychotherapist specializing in maternal mental health with over a decade of experience. She is the founder of MomWell, which is a mom-centered virtual therapy service for every stage of motherhood. I love this conversation because we covered so many things that came up for me along my motherhood journey. I know it's going to speak to a lot of you. We talked about perfectionism. We talked about anxiety. We talked about invisible load. So I really hope that you guys take the time to listen to this one and enjoy it as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Okay, Erica, I thought that we would start by talking about how mom well came to be. Was it something that you had in mind before you had kids or did becoming a mother make it obvious that you wanted to serve other mothers? Oh my gosh. I didn't even know that maternal mental
0: health was a specialty until I found myself drowning in motherhood, going through my own postpartum depression and anxiety that I was like, what is going on with me? I teach these skills with clients as a therapist for a living. And I'm I'm struggling in this way. What is going on here? And so I got some special training in perinatal mental health and realized how high risk we are during this mm-hmm. time. We know that one in five women are going to experience postpartum depression. And so there's this iceberg ahead. And we know one in five women are going to collide with it head on if not some others brush up against it and be impacted by it and we don't talk about it like i went through 7 years of education i'd been in clinical practice for 10 years i didn't even know that this was a thing to be on the lookout for so i i went to social media to just spread awareness like let moms know how they can prepare or sort of soften that transition so that it isn't so difficult for them And that was sort of pre pandemic. And then in the pandemic, we grew a lot, obviously, as moms have continued to struggle with straddling the responsibilities of home and work. And um, yeah, now we've we have evolved into a mom. Well, from happy as a mother, like a full fledged mental health platform with services across
1: U.S. and Canada. Yeah. I feel like I was really lucky because I think I found you very early on and Mm. I could just so relate to, I think you do a tremendous job with showing these graphics and showing all the different things that mothers could be thinking about. Mm. I know something you talk about is how what's happening right now in modern motherhood is that we can have some pretty unattainable goals. Can you explain why you think that is? We're actually living through the era of what is called intensive mothering Mm.
0: or the perfect mother myth. There's a few different words for it, but actually like in research, it's called intensive mothering. And that is the strong desire or push or pressure societally to be and do everything for our children. So that shows up in a couple of ways. We want to give them all of our time and energy and attention and our resources and our finances to give them everything they can to set them up well. We want to meet all of their needs and be as perfect as we can in how we handle their behaviors and how we talk to them because we don't want to create trauma or, you know, mess them up in any way. And there's lots of other pieces to this, but ultimately what it requires is every cell in our body in order to take care of these human beings. And it's just not realistic or sustainable. So, it, this constant pressure to be and do more is really is really burning parents out ultimately.
1: Yeah. I know when I go on social media, like obviously there's accounts I follow and, and I resonate with, but there is messaging out there. That's like, if you say, you know, when you're trying to leave the park and you say something to your kid, like, well, I'm going to leave that you're going to scar them for life. It's just yeah. this very extreme messaging that just plays in our head. Like, as if, as a parent, we can't make a mistake.
0: Mm-hmm. I kind of joke around with my friend Ashreena, and some of my other like friends, where we've got our respectful, positive parenting book like sitting on our night table as we're over here, like you better get your butt in your bed right now. Like you know, it feels like this. Like we have these ideals and these goals and these things that surveil us in our mind that we so badly want to live up to, and kind of mm-hmm. police ourselves by these expectations. But if they're unrealistic to begin with, we constantly feel like we're failing. And this is the really challenging piece. I've actually had many conversations this week, podcasts and otherwise, about this whole parenting and feeling so much pressure to be perfect. Uh, Like we can't even praise correctly now. Mm -hmm. Or like you said, like any little moment or interaction with our child is starting to feel so high stakes. And that's just not realistically how our relationships work. Work. Our bond with our child is like a rubber band where there's a lot of flex and give and pull to it. So, you know, there might be tension and we might have a snippy tone, and then we come back and we talk about it and we repair, and there's kind of a lot of flex there. It doesn't just shatter anytime we are imperfect. And I think that's what we feel. like. We feel in those moments that if I raise my voice or if I say something incorrectly, if I mishandle this situation that I'm either going to rupture the attachment with my child or I'm going to screw them up forever. But no one parenting moment defines us. And it is hard when it feels like we're kind of bombarded with that messaging. And I would suggest if anyone is listening and feels that they are exposed to a lot of that to like curate your feed a little bit and maybe even mute some people or unfollow to give yourself some grace because we can't live in that space all the time.
1: Yeah. I feel like gentle parenting almost, can sometimes come across like we have to appease every single thing that's coming out of our child's mouth. I remember when I volunteered in my oldest son's kindergarten class and the teacher had boundaries and she held her boundaries and she was just, she did not everything out of her mouth. Wasn't this like gentle thing. And the kids loved her. And it was kind Mm -hmm. of a game changer for me because I was like, okay, I feel like online, I learned that I have to nail every single interaction and this woman has to control 20 kids. Like she's not going to be able to do that. They still respect her. They Mm -hmm. love her. She's running a classroom. So that really spoke to me. Something Mm -hmm. that I have not struggled with that much until I became a mom was perfectionism. Mm Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of women listening, we kind of talked about it on your podcast when we were over there. What can we do for these moms that really battle up against perfectionism, whether they are a mom that stays home with their children or works outside of the house? How do you help your clients that struggle with this?
0: It's interesting because I don't know if we didn't struggle with perfectionism before becoming a mom or the things that we wanted to be perfect and were more within our control, mm. right? Because I was like a type, if I'm not getting a whatever GPA and this on a project and this at, at, at work or at school or whatever, well, I could just buckle down and put in the extra time. I could do the extra research. I could do, you know, I had autonomy over my time and my resources more or less. In motherhood, You have autonomy over very little, like nothing, like not even your own body or when you pee or shower at first initially, really it feels like, right? So trying to live up to perfectionist standards when you don't control the schedule or how sleep deprived you are or the temperament or challenges of the little human that is also a factor now in all of this is a recipe for some chaos and some uncertainty. Mm. And when we feel anxious and when we're setting unrealistic ideals and we're in perfectionism, we're stuck in black and white thinking where it's hard to pivot. It's hard to change. And we're stuck in like like a rigid mindset. So perfectionism in motherhood, just really like motherhood, generally speaking, just exploits this perfectionism and makes it really really difficult to try and live up to it when other times in life perfectionism is rewarded you go over and above mm-hmm. and you do the thing and like you are the a star, you know whether it's student or colleague or even maybe sibling or family member if that's reinforced in our family but in motherhood it's just like no respecter of any kind of rigidity and and flexibility ultimately is what is needed postpartum and it's kind of counter perfectionism. So it takes a lot of massaging and readjusting our expectations and learning to adapt as we go in order to counteract that perfectionism a bit.
1: Erica, I feel like you just (laughs) laid a really important lesson on me because what you said made perfect sense. Before I became a mother, I was able to have phenomenal attendance at work. And Ooh. I could be on the committee that met before work and I could do these things. And then after I became a mother and all of my kids went to daycare when they were 12 weeks old, right? So mm. I had a lot of sick calls and mm. and so much pressure. And now I'm just looking back at what you said. I'm like, I think that makes perfect sense. We, we were just used to operating without such a high demand and without like kids are very unpredictable. They can't help when they get sick mm-hmm. or when something happens. i never had thought of it like that.
0: Well, and our capacity pre-children was usually mostly just dependent on us, right? Like our own battery, whether we charged it, didn't charge it. I mean, if we lived in a home with our family or our partner, maybe they impacted our capacity a bit, but like not in the way that children do. And now in parenthood, I may have a fully charged battery and I may be like setting all the great expectations. This has actually been my week this week, actually, because we're week three into school. I'm like, yes, we're back in routine. I can get some stuff done after being like the chaos of the summer and all this stuff. We're all freaking sick. So I had all this stuff that I had to do, and, and I, my battery was charged. I'm ready to go. And in enters the three other little batteries that pull on my battery. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I am the supply to the little, you know, little ones walking around. It's not even about me now. Like I. I could feel fully charged. I could be prepped and ready to take on the day and to live out that whatever that perfectionist plan or goal was. But I have to be flexible and adapt now because I've made space for these little beings. And that is like a real mind trip. Like that is a hard thing to adjust to and accept that our capacity isn't just our own. It's like tethered to other people now to a degree, not that we should lose ourselves and not that we don't take care of ourselves and put ourselves first, which we can talk about some of those things, but it's tethered to other human beings now in a way that it wasn't before.
1: Yeah. And I'm just thinking like there's space for disappointment. Like when you have that Exciting work week, and you have all these plans. And even with the best plan B, like my husband and I, now we've been at this for seven years. Like we understand how to make a plan, how to have a plan B, what work days he can miss and he can cover. Like we have all those, and sometimes Mm -hmm. it still doesn't work out. And like as a mom, to sometimes feel disappointed that I can't attend the things that I want to attend. Mm -hmm. i think it is a reality of the season well i think we talked
0: about that even on the episode on my show where that could be like a big event like a mom's night out or like us something we want to do for ourselves and something happens and the kids get sick or something disrupts that but that could also be as sort of granular in our day-to-day as like our workout we want to do for Mm -hmm. ourselves or the stroller walk we want to try and go on, but my kid is rage screaming and it's just not fun for anybody anymore. And so there is room in those moments to say like, oh, this this is really hard. Like of course, there's grief when things don't go as we would like them to go. And and it's not to invalidate or minimize the emotions that come up when these things happen. But it's also to say that I'm not going to hold on to the unrealistic expectation. Like I'm going to roll with the new information and the data that I have. Because mm-hmm. what happens when we are postpartum or otherwise in motherhood, when we have unrealistic expectations, let's say of our day or of the postpartum period, what, however we want to paint it, and the reality comes in at such a different place than our expectation, the gap and how far apart those things are, are a really good indicator of how much distress we're going to experience. So if Mm. my day, like if in the postpartum, I thought going into like mat leave or my time off, it was going to be romanticized, like sunshine and rainbows. And I had these maternal instincts and they're going to kick in and I'm going to thrive in my role. And like, this is sort of my expectation of motherhood. I didn't know what it meant to be a mother. I honestly don't even know what my expectations were. And it comes in as bleeding and diapers and sore nipples and sleep deprivation. And like, there is a huge gap there Mm -hmm. and it feels blindsiding and it creates a lot of discomfort and distress. So being able to adjust and close that gap, say, whoa, I miscalculated that expectation here. I miscalculated this week what I was going to get done because I couldn't have foreseen that we were all Mm going to be sick and under the weather. But I know now that I have to roll with it and incorporate some flexibility and acceptance. Still hard, still frustrating, still not going to minimize how I feel about it, but I'm going to roll with it and sort of accept it to a degree and that allows for less suffering along the way.
1: Yeah and something you had mentioned earlier in the interview was about the this idea of postpartum anxiety. You know, we had a really unforeseen thing happen to a lot of listeners, which was the pandemic. And Mm. we heard that that even created more anxiety in new moms. So I want to know how do you see anxiety affecting women, particularly those that are in early motherhood and postpartum days? What does that look like?
0: Mm. Well, it's interesting because I think there's kind of two things here. Postpartum anxiety is something that is experienced, I would say kind of like on an individual level, physiologically, biologically in our body, as well as, you know, in our social supports and environment. It's kind of like an individual experience, but then there is the broader context in which we're mothering that also impacts our levels of anxiety and impacts how we feel and adjust in motherhood. So, Postpartum anxiety individually, we know, happens in like the numbers are are sort of varied one in five to one in 10 women. And we know that it is often present with postpartum depression. And that's most often when it gets caught, but not always. And when it's not, it often gets chalked up to, oh, this is just new mom jitters. This is new mom worries. And it kind of gets poo-pooed and gets dismissed. So this is a very real experience. This experience is around whether the context in motherhood is changing or not, and something that we need to be screening for and on the lookout for, something that happens based on our body changing and entering our new role, all of those things. Then we've got the context in which we're mothering we've got pandemics, we've got gun violence, we've got all kinds of scary news and, you know, opposing parties and things that are going on that uh, climate change, like I get messages about these things daily, Mm. the anxiety that people like, can you talk about this thing? I have so much anxiety about this health anxiety that has continued to be prevalent since COVID. And We can't deny the impact that that has on the everyday mothering parent. Like, so I just did an interview with somebody and we were talking about how this, like the most prevalent rates of anxiety we've ever seen are in millennials and Gen Z. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I think like we've lived through some interesting things as did our parents and grandparents like world wars, you know, but also we are tethered to social media and seeing a constant loop of information and news that also impacts our mental health as well. The frequency at which we're exposed to all of these things, I think also plays a
1: role. I had to really work on my doom scrolling. Hmm. Like if something bad would happen, I would just get so down. I don't know like, what I was thinking. Like, If, if I knew every single piece of information about it, if that was going to somehow help me, but I would get down really. Mm -hmm. I couldn't almost like get off my phone, particularly to learn more about like the terrible thing that happened.
0: Mm -hmm. And I had
1: to learn that that really didn't feel helpful in the, at the end of the day, like I needed to find other ways to cope with the hard things that have happened. Mm -hmm. I want to know what do you see as red flags that people could look for when it comes to anxiety? Um, I I know we talked about postpartum physical red flags on your podcast, but I'm Mm -hmm. wondering, how do we know when anxiety tips into an issue? Because I also think on social media, we kind of see everyone throwing the term around, Mm -hmm. like, as if it's not, serious. So what do you look for when it comes to red flags? Mm-hmm. So
0: ultimately when we enter motherhood, especially as first-time moms, we're gonna feel nervous. And like we are learning a new role on the job. There's a whole human involved. Like <laughs> The stakes feel really high, right? So we don't want to take an experience that is common and pathologize it. But we also don't want to not take it seriously mm-hmm. and just chalk it up to new if it is actually impacting their life in a negative way. So some things that we see and sort of like the textbook and sort of verbiage here is like if it's impacting your daily functioning, if it is limiting you from doing things that you would typically do. So when we feel anxious, we kind of have two-ish reactions. One, we want to avoid the thing that's making us anxious. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this comes up in intrusive thoughts in the postpartum period. We've got scary thoughts of like unwanted harm coming to baby. And so we don't want to walk in this with the stroller down the scary road, or we don't want to go do the thing that feels like too much of a threat. So we avoid and we pull back. So avoidance that is interfering with your life, or if your fear or your worry is not allowing you to move freely and live, that's a red flag. On the flip side of that, anxiety when we are when we are fearful looks for certainty. It wants to know and it wants to like know now and understand. Like you're saying, we go into that over-research mode, or we go into that like seeking for reassurance or certainty. And that can play it in a few different ways: over-researching and getting way down rabbit holes, over-researching a thing like. Baby sleep, for example, and becoming extremely mm-hmm. rigid about sleep wake windows, or becoming very rigid about wanting to know exactly how many ounces of milk baby took in because they're breastfeeding. You can't see it on a bottle. So we're weighing them every feed before and after. So that's like really looking for certainty and also controlling to have certainty. So, like, you know, I, I'm going to protect my baby, maybe gatekeep a little bit, not let my partner get as involved or my mother-in-law or want to control the environment a little bit. Like as soon as we have, like our anxiety starts to control the behaviors of other people around us also red flag. So it comes out in our behaviors. I think we can be on the lookout for, for some of those reassurance seeking controlling and
1: avoidance is is a big one. I love how you've normalized the idea that this can really happen to any mom. Like you were a trained therapist when you became a mom and all of Mm -hmm. a sudden you struggled. One, One of my friends, she was a, her career was being a nanny and she took care of very young babies for the family she worked for and she struggled mightily. And I think in our heads, we can think, wait a second, she's got so much experience or she knows mental health. So well, how are these women struggling? But it really just is this cannonball into, you know, motherhood is challenging and it's new and you're losing sleep and there's just so many factors at play. So I really appreciate how you Mm -hmm. are open about that. Yeah.
0: It's, I worked with a lot of parents and families before becoming a mom myself. And now I'm always like, oh, I just wish I could go back and just say sorry to those parents. Like I have such a different level of understanding now because it's one thing to be trained in the skills of caring for a child. Let's say in the nanny case, it's another to know what it is like to be committed to this 24 seven mm and to not know when you're going to get a break and to be in the sleep deprivation and and it feel ongoing there is a like a smothering or trapped sort of feeling a powerlessness feeling that comes up a lot when i speak to moms especially going through hard and difficult times because we don't know like when will this end And that is a very different level of commitment and also drain on our capacity, like we were talking about before, than the person who can pop in with their caregiving skills and then go home and have a full night's sleep. Mm -hmm. It's like why things seem so much easier to grandparents, but here we are, the parents like totally like, you know, covered and spit up and haven't showered and are struggling. Like they can come and do a couple all-nighters or sleepless nights. Cause they get to go home and go back to their life where they are caring for their capacity in a different way. So it's, it's difficult because ultimately we carry, we carry all the pieces kind of ongoing.
1: Yeah. When I was really struggling when my kids were younger and like I said, they have always gone to daycare starting at 12 weeks and we would have these six stretches where I would honestly spiral into like, I don't know if I can do this because Mm. I was calling in sick. I was a nurse. Like I was in my manager's office getting in trouble. And something we do on Mondays is mom community Monday. And we let Mm -hmm. our followers submit in whatever is going on inside of their mom life. And one thing that comes up quite a bit is returning from maternity leave. Mm-hmm. And just like anything in motherhood, there's a whole lot of feelings about it. You know, some women look forward to work. Some women, it's they they cry and cry because they don't want to go back to work yet. I mm-hmm. know you've done a couple posts on the topic, so I was wondering if you could give us any advice for kind of going through this big transition as moms
0: hmm We actually have three mini courses on this topic in a couple of different pain point areas. We've got transitioning to daycare. We've got emotionally preparing to go back to work. And then we have redistributing tasks when we go back to work, because there are mm-hmm. a lot of big pain points that come up in the back to work, and it can be different for everyone. One, maybe we feel like we don't have a choice. Because we don't have paid leave, our job is not protected, we have to go back for financial reasons, feeling like you have to leave your baby before you're ready and go back and you don't have a choice in the matter is excruciatingly hard to process and accept, right? Especially when we're talking about that intensive mothering myth off the top that also really reinforces that you're the best caregiver for your child. Your child should be with you. You should be with your child. There's this like narrative of like, I should be the one and then, you know, and I'm putting them in daycare. So that that can be really difficult to process. And then on the flip side of that, there are people who maybe feel more than ready to go back to work. They want to reclaim parts of themselves. They feel so good in, you know, getting back into something for them. Ultimately, on both sides, there's usually guilt that is experienced Mm -hmm. because we feel guilty that we are enjoying being apart from our child, or we feel guilty that we're apart from them and we want to be at home. No one gets off here without guilt, which is really unfortunate because we feel I don't know, we feel like we have to be all in our mothering or if we find enjoyment or satisfaction outside of mothering, our mothering should have been enough and we are apart from them. So it's, it's a complex thing that everyone can come from these different places and ultimately they end up just feeling guilty or like they're not doing a good enough job typically in both of those roles.
1: It's so hard when you say that out loud, because it can really feel like there's no way to win. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. You're either feeling guilty no matter how you're feeling about going back to work. And now a quick break to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Expecting and Empowered. Have you ever wondered, is this workout safe to do after having a baby? What should I do to recover in postpartum? If you have, you're not alone. And the good news is we've got a program for you. Whether you've had a cesarean or a vaginal birth, our app is designed to meet you exactly where you are and help you to restore your pelvic floor core and rebuild strength after having a baby. One of our app users said, I worked out religiously prior to pregnancy and felt so lost postpartum until I found these ladies. The workouts are just the right length to be able to fit it into a busy day. C-section Recovery is no joke and they've built the guide from experience and expertise. You can sign up for the app now for 25% off with the promo code podcast25. This brings the yearly subscription down to just $10 a month and this includes every app program including strength training, yoga, core, and running. Visit app.expectingandempowered.com to sign up today and we'll see you guys in the app. I know when you teach on this subject, something that you talk about is the invisible load of Mm -hmm. returning back to work. I want to know what do you hear from your patients and your community about specifically that subject? Mm -hmm. I think that
0: really plays into the redistributing tasks to going back to work, right? And it's not that there is no winning for the working mom. It's that with our current mindset and expectations of ourselves, we cannot possibly give 100% both at work and at home. We talked about that perfectionism, right? We're used to giving 100% at work maybe. And now we want to give hundred percent at home. Well, that math just ain't mathing. It's Mm -hmm. not possible, right? We're going to burn ourselves out. And so what we start to look at then are things like the invisible load and redistributing tasks so that mom isn't having to carry everything at home while also carrying responsibility at work. We make an assumption going back to work that the tasks are automatically going to redistribute themselves. And that happens like none of the time. Like It really actually doesn't happen because the tasks weren't really divided off of any core criteria to begin with. They were just kind of like auto-assigned based on like role and gender typically a lot of the time. So mom, we know, according to a lot of the statistics and research that are out there, continue to hold on to the majority of the home and care work while also working out of the home, possibly full-time. So in order to not feel guilt, in order to relieve some pressure, in order to relieve the invisible load that mom carries, we have to get really intentional about bringing partners in and redistributing these tasks and sharing this load. Now, the invisible load is tricky because it is invisible. Like sometimes we don't even know what we're carrying or how to articulate it. And that's why I think the graphics that you refer to are really, they resonate so much with people because they take something that we didn't really have the language to communicate and give us a talking point with our partner on like all the things that are involved here. So the first step is making the things that you are carrying in your mind, especially that emotional, mental labor, invisible labor, making them seen and known so that there can actually be a conversation with your partner on how these can be redistributed.
1: Uh, One of the reasons I like to be so honest about my struggles is because I'm hoping to help the women that are coming behind me. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't even think about that when I went back to work after my first, and then it was almost like, by the time we had number two and certainly number three, it was so beyond necessary. Like I was either going to sink or I needed to get my partner and he was always willing. That was the crazy thing too. It's Mm -hmm. like he was always willing. And I was almost like gatekeeping some things that I thought should really belong to me, Mm -hmm. including sick days. Like I was a nurse. Mm -hmm. I was the mom I breastfed. I felt like if this child is sick, he needs me Mm -hmm. to to make him feel better. So one thing that we know can come up with moms and with sick children is this idea of sleep deprivation. Mm. And I know you cover this and it is a challenging subject because it feels almost like one of those things where as women, we can feel like it comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. And we need to suck it up and that's what we're gonna do. So I want to know how do we get women more sleep when they are you know in the trenches of sleep deprivation
0: mm-hmm. It's interesting I'm I've written a book and it's coming out early next year, but we talk a lot about assumptions and reframes mm-hmm. And when we talk about tasks, Uh, this would be a childcare task, this would be a caregiving task, night wakings and night feedings. We often default and auto assume that tasks fall on mom or on dad, usually divided by nothing more than like gender roles and like typical roles that we've seen mothers and fathers play as we grow up, you know, and as we've, you know, observed things in life. The idea that night wakings are solely a mom's responsibility, I would say is not true. It it is not feasible nor Mm. realistic. And in a lot of communities and other areas around the world where they parent, isn't even approached that way. But with this intensive mothering that we carry and with the society that we're in, I also too felt that to be a good mom... I am the one to get to take on the night wakings and feed my baby and soothe my baby. And somehow my worth and identity and like performance in my role became evaluated by some of these doing metrics, right? And that is not what makes us a good mom. It's really Mm -hmm. like it's about like attuning to our child, and like there's like so many other things, and we help to redefine what that measuring stick is because being the one who always does is a slippery slope to fall into because this is how we end up carrying the entire visible load and all the tasks and all the care work, and even with a willing partner, don't relinquish any of it because if if I'm giving it up now, I'm failing because me being able to do all of these things means I'm a good mom. And so, if I can't do them all, to ask for help means that I'm not doing my job. And it becomes this weird cycle where we need to actually like scrub clean this like measuring stick we have of how we are evaluating and defining ourselves and really tune into our values and what is important to us and say, okay, what does being a good mom mean to me? And where does that come from? Is, is that like a saddle expectation or is that something that's actually truly really important to me? Things like me being a safe place for my children to bring any conversation. Me being attuned to my child and you know, having moments of presence and connection with them. Not every moment is connected and present, but like having pockets and moment of time you know, like whatever your your values are, like I really value like experiences and and other things. And you kind of create your own criteria rather than thinking that being the sole caregiver or that breastfeeding. And then ultimately we have to formula feed and then feel like we're failing. Like some of these things that we traditionally define ourselves by just they're not realistic and they really trip us up and ultimately leave us feeling like we're failing and like we're not
1: doing a good enough job. You know, what uh, comes up for me is I I so remember the idea of wanting to kind of protect my husband's sleep because he had to go to work Mm -hmm. and I was home with the baby. So like, of course, I could be more tired because you're going to work. And then over time, what we found worked really well for us is Drew would get up the early morning feed so that I could have that last solid chunk of sleep. So I think sometimes as women, we're really almost trained to put ourselves last. And what we know is that seldom works if we want to feel well. Mm -hmm.
0: And it brings up a whole other can of worms in terms of time. And I know my friend Eve Rodsky talks about this a lot. She describes it as like our time is like infinite and our, and our partner's time is like diamonds and it's so valuable. We have to protect it. And our time in a caregiving role is not valued on equal playing field as our partner because we are not exchanging our time for money. So there's a whole bunch here, but ultimately the work we do day in and day out, As caregivers is valuable. It is some of the hardest work. It is some of the, you know, most testing work. Also, we're caring for a whole freaking human being here. We might be protecting our partner's time to go to like the office and push some papers around. No disrespect, but like the stakes are not the same. So in our culture, we don't value care work and therefore we don't Mm -hmm. value a mother's time. And that is an internalized belief that we have that we have to undo. We have to like let ourselves know and and teach ourselves and sort of relearn that this is valuable and this is work and what I'm doing is meaningful and it matters And my time and my sleep also matter. Absolutely.
1: You had a post and it said that mental health is the biggest worry for moms, according to the Mother's 2023 Annual State of Motherhood Survey. Mm -hmm. You know, part of me feels like is, are we becoming more aware that our mental health is important, but part of me also realizes the state that we're in so many of the things that you've spoken about already. So I want to know, could you speak on why you think that that is ranked number one and what your thoughts and feelings are about that?
0: Mm -hmm. You bring up a really valid point that millennials are one of the most mentally health forward generations. Mm -hmm. So they will seek out mental health care, they will talk about it more readily, like they're really destigmatizing conversations around mental health. I would say maternal mental health is not quite on that same forefront because there is something sort of taboo about asking for help in motherhood still that feels like an admitting that we're failing that isn't quite up there in the same way as it is like going to get mental health care for our kids or something. You know what I mean? It feels a little more threatening or different sometimes, but still we're making really big strides. So there is like an overall acceptance and awareness more so in our generation and younger generations. So that's that's for sure a piece of it. And then I think that also it's just such a concern because of kind of like the world that we've been living in the past like three, four years. Like there's been a lot that has happened in a short span of time. And the constant stream and access to this information, I think really plays on our mental health. Because there may have been a lot of things going on in our parents' generation, you know, but they didn't have it on endless loop in their social media and all of these places. When we're constantly exposed and bombarded with um, negative news events happening, it takes that one kind of isolated event that's maybe like a 0.0001% chance of a thing actually happening and makes it feel as though it will actually occur. Like if I go to the amusement park, this event will replicate itself. And so we start to like pull back because we sort of overestimate the likelihood that these things can begin to happen. So I think that our digital age also really impacts the mental health piece here and the anxiety piece. And then the last piece is like, housing and finances and prepping for a recession in that motherhood survey, specifically motherly had asked about, um, fears about a recession finances, and if they were sort of adjusting spending accordingly because of fear of recession. And so finances and just trying to make ends meet as to earning, you know, a two income household
1: also, I mean, ultimately impacts our mental health as well. It just feels like there's a whole lot going on right now. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of you, it's just constantly in your face because many of us choose to be on social media. And so it's almost like we can't get away from it. Do you have any tips on like how you curate your own feed or what you would recommend to people that do feel like you know what, I do think that social media impacts my mental health negatively.
0: Mm -hmm. It's interesting because as somebody who's built their platform on social media, Mm -hmm. I value it. And I I see the power, I see the value in social media. And then I also see how if left unchecked or without boundaries, it can really negatively impact us sometimes. So I think that mindfully scrolling, like you talked about the doom scrolling and becoming aware that this was not Helpful. I think that like what we bring when we're scrolling is going to impact how we interpret the things that we're seeing. So for example, I might open a post one day, and if I'm in a really crummy state of mind, I might be like, oh, I really don't like that person doing that, blah, blah, blah. Like feel jealous or feel whatever. And the next day, if I'm not in that fog, I have zero issues with that post. So one, like tune in to yourself and know what you're bringing to the table when you're doing these things. And if it takes a turn and goes left and it starts to spiral while you're scrolling, like get out of the app and go like, you know, breathe, stretch, shower, something other than continuing to, to scroll. Also like really practical things like turn off all your notifications and mindfully choose when you want to go into your app. Um, when it comes to news and taking in sort of world events, we don't want to go so far the opposite direction that we're not informed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big thing, like censorship, being informed, not informed, like is a is a big conversation right now and, and how you get your media and what outlets you expose yourself to and, and all of that. Ultimately, it's important to be informed within containment and boundaries. So maybe you schedule your like news perusing and updating to like a 15 minute chunk or 20 minute chunk for the day and then you like move on. like you don't have it on in the background streaming all the time like you're you limit your exposure that it can't be front of mind all the time. Same goes for social media like if if you need to put some limits on that or unfollowing and muting people who, trigger you which comes back to that mindful scrolling of knowing when you're feeling pulled in a in a triggered
1: direction when there's something really sad happening i just know i have a boundary of like i can't look at it before i go to bed mm-hmm. like i have to just do i i read instead to make sure that i just am not going to go into that before i go to bed you have Erica. less capacity in the evening yeah. to deal with it in the morning
0: yeah. with a fresh set of like a battery fully charged. It might roll off your back differently. Right. So it's
1: like, you know yourself and what works for you and what doesn't. Absolutely. This has been such a great conversation. As you know, I'm a huge fan of everything that you're doing in the way that you're helping mothers. If people are just finding you, where can they find more of you?
0: hmm So we're at momwell on Instagram, momwell.com, momwell podcast, kind of momwell everywhere. And we've got lots of free blog posts and episodes and things. We've got self-paced courses on postpartum anxiety, going back to work, as well as we have a team of maternal mental health specialists that serve majority of the US as well as Canada and are constantly adding locations. So Come
1: and check us out if you're needing specialized support in this area. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you shared it on Instagram, tagging momwell and expecting and empowered.